1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house, the temple of God, to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. When we went through the first three verses of this chapter, we saw how Peter used the metaphor of newborn babies craving milk. He used that metaphor to instruct us to consume spiritual milk and grow in the knowledge and the application of the Word of God. In this passage, Peter uses the metaphor of stones for constructing a house. In fact, the house of God, the temple where God's presence would dwell. And Peter uses the metaphor of stones to refer to our worth and our place in the blueprint, in the plan of God. That's what he's doing when he's making this reference that we are living stones in the building of the Lord. Now, the building activity of the Lord, the fact that we talk about the Lord building his church, there is a twofold aspect to this. The first one is that it is when the Lord is building each one of us individually to shape and dress the stone, to mature us as disciples of Christ, and so that each one of us carries the presence of God, and each one of us is designated, is identified as the temple of God, that we would carry God himself, that we would be filled with the presence of God, and that each one of us is, is ministering to the Lord in that way individually. But the second part of this building activity of the Lord is that the Lord is uniting all of us in a building. Not this physical building that we sit in, but in the fact that he builds us together to form the temple of the Holy Spirit, the temple of the Lord, and we are living stones set in that 
temple to form the body of Christ, the church universal. And let me tell you this. This is a unique characteristic of Christianity. Temples existed before there was the children of Israel building the tabernacle or building the temple and all of that. Temples existed. People had these locations, these buildings, these places, these shrines. They had these places where they referred to them or they would, they would point to them as being the place of their God. So Baal or whoever it may be, you know, the, the people worshipped gods in these temples. So temples existed before we come to all the stories in the Bible. But it is only in the Bible that you find these references to that temple not being simply about that physical location, but pointing to a much greater spiritual reality. And then the privilege or the opportunity for those that would accept God to believe in him, to know his promises, to be the very temple themselves. That's a unique characteristic of Christianity. That's a unique characteristic of Yahweh in terms of how he deals with us and what he speaks to us when he says, I am your God, I am, and you are my people, but I inhabit I inhabit the praises. I come and dwell on the praises of my people. I inhabit you. I fill you with my presence. So everywhere that Christians go, we carry, we are these temples all around. And then when we assemble, when we gather together in a corporate celebration of this kind, these living stones magnify, we amplify, we, we multiply all that the Lord is doing us in us individually to, for, to form something much larger collectively. That's the promise of the word of God. That's the promise that the Lord has for us. And it's a glorious privilege. It is why we must be part of a local church. It is, it is why we must join together with the body of Christ. We're not just individual living stones you know, somewhere. We're brought together. So there's that twofold aspect of what the Lord is doing when he says he's building the church. Now, it's worth noting that although Jesus referred to Peter as the rock or stone, right? He names him Cephas in Aramaic, which means stone, and that translated in Greek was Petros, so we get the name Peter. So Jesus refers to Peter as the stone, and then Jesus refers to building the church on the rock. We even sang about that, right? But Peter doesn't refer to himself as the rock on which the church would be built. Peter knew that the church could only be built by Jesus on Jesus. Jesus had to be the cornerstone of the church. Jesus had to be the definition for the church. You see, what he's pointing to is that a stone, even a large stone, may not seem relevant or useful and may be rejected by those who cannot see its value, who don't understand, who don't believe, who don't obey the word of God. They will reject that stone. But when that stone is chosen by God, when it is precious to God, it becomes the cornerstone, it plays a vitally important role, and there the transformation takes place. It's similar to what Paul affirms in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, that Jesus was not only the cornerstone, but that along with the apostles and the prophets, he is the foundation of the church. So everything finds its meaning and its purpose in Jesus. 
He is the one in whom everything else is defined. And so Peter doesn't have an exalted view of himself. He doesn't say, I'm, you know, Jesus told me I'm the rock and on this rock. He, he doesn't do anything of the kind because he knows what, what the church is about. And so he has no exalted view of himself and whatever ego and pride and boasting and other things he had in the past, those things are long gone by the time he writes these epistles, right? And so when we hear from him now, we have, we, we understand that Peter, he knew that regardless of his appointment as an apostle, regardless of his being with and learning from Jesus directly, regardless of the faithful fulfillment of his calling, he was a living stone in the house of the Lord, just as each of us who believe in Jesus, both Jews and Gentiles, are also living stones chosen by God and precious to God. We're equally built up in this house of the Lord. We're no less. And that's amazing. That's, that's wonderful. We have much to learn from Peter's humble realization and ex example. And we have much to celebrate from Peter's revelation. We, each one of us, are not rejected, are not worthless, we're not alone. We are no less than God's wonderful workmanship in his glorious activity of building the church. That's how we've got to see ourselves. That's what we've got to understand and recognize. And that is beautiful. But Peter doesn't just describe us as living stones in the church. He says we're also priests, holy priests. In verse 9, in fact, he sort of says quite a bit. He says, he says we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation and God's special possession, God's cherished possession. What an identity. What a way to be recognized in the Lord. These are the images, these are the metaphors, these are the terms that the Bible is using to describe the children of God. Now, we'll go through the identifying characteristic of a royal priest in a little bit more detail. But I want to first consider what this word identity means. You know, the idea that how should we see ourselves in the Lord? Popular science and philosophy describes our identities as the combination of our physical and behavioral traits that defines who we are. Right? So the combination of our physical, which, you know, we were born this way and all the rest of those things, but behaviors that are learned or whatever, and, you know, you got it from your parents, whatever, but it starts to form who you are, it defines who you are. And here's how psychology today describes it. Identity encompasses the memories, experiences, relationships, and values that create one's sense of self. Identity also encompasses political opinions, moral attitudes, and religious beliefs, all of which guide the choices one makes on a daily basis. This amalgamation creates a steady sense of who one is over time, even as new facets are developed and incorporated into one's identity. Okay, so... Fine, I mean, these, these are the things, the popular sort of opinion around you would say, this is what an identity is. This is how you sort of define it. 
Now, coincidentally, and of course there are no coincidences, in both the Youth and Young Adult Fellowship on Friday evening and the Men's Fellowship yesterday morning, the topic of discussion was identity. You know, independently, it came up. And so the question was, what is our identity? How is it defined? Does it change? You know, through the seasons of life in particular as we experience new things and go through stuff. How should we understand our identity in Christ? The world... The world around us, culture, society, art, literature, entertainment, these days increasingly entertainment and media, the world around us, our own flesh, which means our internal desires, what we start to you know, incline towards, and our externally driven desires to please people or to fit in in some way or to be, you know, we are influenced. So the world, our own flesh, and the devil are all seeking to define our identities. Every day, somebody's telling you, this is who you are. This is how you should think. This is what you should do. Every day that's happening, whether in a subtle way or in a direct way. From the time we're born, somebody's telling you what you should do. Now, you may not agree with them, you may not do it, but those influences are coming. And whether you realize it or not, that's transforming your thinking, that's affecting your life, that's shaping your identity. You will receive spoken and unspoken messages telling you all of these things, which means the relevant question is, do we rightly discern the source of these messages? These messages that we are receiving is what we're receiving and being influenced by. Are these inputs into our life that are shaping our identity, are those inputs intended to result in, are the outputs from all of these influences, is it to result in truth, light, Joy, peace, strength, service, bearing abundant fruit, and living abundant lives? Is that what's happening with these influences? Or are these influences in your life stealing your peace and destroying your very identity? You've got to ask the question. If we're not asking that question regularly of the influences into our life, we will just be overcome by these influences. Somebody wants me to do this. Something should happen like this. I think I am. You know, everybody else thinks I am like this. Therefore, and you will be overwhelmed by what is influencing you rather than being an overcomer, rather than being above your circumstances. You will be under the present circumstances. Under the present circumstances, I think this. Under the present circumstances, I feel I should do this. And what you're really saying is, I have been influenced by all of these circumstances around me to go in this direction. And the question you have to ask is, where am I getting my information? What is my source? What is the input? What is it that is coming into me? And how am I processing that? You see, we have to ask the question, is my identity being defined by God or something, anything 
everything that is not of God. That's the only two choices, right? It's very binary. It's either of God or, if it, or it's not of God. That's it. And the, you have to ask the question, where am I getting this? How am I defining myself? Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1 gives us some wonderful truths of how God sees us, how God defines our identity. When we were studying the book of Ephesians, we went through that to say we have to understand what God says about us. And what does God say about us? What do those scriptures and others tell us? That we were chosen before even the foundation of the world. That we have been adopted as dearly loved children. That we are accepted in Christ Jesus. That we are redeemed through Jesus' blood. That we have our sins forgiven and cleansed and remembered no more. And that we are inheritors of the kingdom of God. These are very significant statements. Every one of them has deep meaning. But go back and just continue to reiterate these truths to yourself. And to say this is what the word of God tells me about myself. And it is multifaceted. It's not just one thing. It's not just okay I've you know, adopted you as a child. But it is to be accepted in terms of all that we are and who we are, it's not to say, oh, I'm not, I don't deserve to be. Of course we don't. But the Lord accepts us. He receives us. He makes us his own. And then it's not just that. He empowers us and, and equips us to be able to fulfill his service. And it's not just that. When our sins are forgiven and cleansed and we are washed, we are able to share of that with others so that there is redemption. There's the gospel message that we are able to impart to somebody else. All of these things are working together so that there's a multifaceted identity that we have in Christ. And because of what the Lord has done for us, we respond, we live by God's will, we humble ourselves and yield to the Holy Spirit. We live to praise God, we worship God, and we live for God's purpose, we obey God's commands. When we live and move and have our being in Christ Jesus in that way, then we will naturally serve others. We will naturally build up the body of Christ. We will naturally contribute in every possible way. We will give our time, our talent, our treasure to build up the house of the Lord. That will happen. We will want to be part of a local church and say, look, I want to build up the church. I want to see the body of Christ all across the world being built up. I want to give to whatever, whatever activity would help to do that, advancing the kingdom of God. Why? Because this is what the Lord is doing for me, and this is what it evokes as a response in me. When he calls me this, and he identifies me in these ways, I can't help but respond in, in all of these ways back to him. So, Let's come back to one specific aspect of our identity in Christ. Peter specifically mentions that we are royal priests who offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And when he says that, when he's making that statement, he's not implying that we are somehow kings on, on par with God. We're not... You know, God is a king, we're also a king. You know, there's all sorts of teachings like that that talk about things like that. That's not the point here. The, the Lord is the king of kings. He is the Lord. 
But we are, because we are adopted into his family, because we are accepted by him, because we are brought into relationship with him, we share in the royalty. We're princes and princesses. Uh, so that we are, we have the authority of the king. We have the relationship to the king, even if we are not kings ourselves, kings and queens ourselves, right? We have that, what we have inherited from the Lord. We have that privilege. So he refers to us in that way as royal. But the second word there is that we are priests. And we don't typically think of this. We think of you know, being adopted and accepted. And we think of many aspects of our identity in Christ. But Peter is pointing out that we are royal priests. And what does the priest do? The priest's function was to facilitate the sacrifices, was to facilitate the worship of God, was to facilitate the cleansing of sin, was to facilitate the coming together, all those pilgrimage festivals and all those times that the children of Israel would come to the temple. The priest was to facilitate that kind of gathering, that kind of celebration, that kind of worship of God. And the priest was there to stand in the middle, to stand on behalf of the people as they would bring all of who they were and what they were offering to the Lord. And the priest was in that office. And we are called to do this. Now, mind you, when I say this, you may be thinking, well, that's why we have pastors. That's why we have you know, people who are paid to do this. That's why we have some professionals. No. The intent for God and the reason that Peter is making this statement, he's saying all of you. He doesn't qualify this. He says you are a chosen people, a holy nation, you know, all of that. You, all of you are royal priests. You know, and if you go all the way back in Exodus chapter 19, when the children of Israel were being brought out of Egypt, in, you know, the, we read of how they were delivered and the Lord brings them, you know, the Red Sea, parting of the Red Sea, miraculous work of God. But he brings them to Mount Sinai. And God had already spoken to Moses at Mount Sinai and he said, you go and you tell Pharaoh to let my people go and then you will bring them back here to this mountain. And when you are here, I, you will worship me and I will tell you what you are to do and all of that. Listen to Exodus chapter 19, verses 3 to 6. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me... A kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. God told the children of Israel then and he's telling us now, I am eager for all of you to be a kingdom of priests. Living in the kingdom of the king of kings, you will all be priests. What does that mean? You would all be ministering. You would all be serving. You would all be facilitating this worship of God, one with another, and to the nations around you as a witness. That's what the purpose of the children of God was. God called them out. He said, you are my treasured possession so that you will be a witness to the world around you and through you the Messiah would come for the benefit of the whole world. 
That's the call. What did the children of Israel say? They said to Moses, Oh, we can't come close to this God. You go and talk to him for us. But we, we will stand afar. And through that period, and as Moses is up on the mountain, they rebel, they worship, the, they make the golden calf, they do all these things, and then through that there's judgment and all, this, all this, the consequences of their action, and then God separates the tribe of Levi and says they're going to serve me as the priest. But do you understand that the desire of God was for all of them to be serving him in this way? It's not for the select few, it's not for the ordained, it's not for the paid. It's for all of us to be royal priests and to serve God in this way. Which means, you know, when, think about it. If, if I am praying for you as a priest and you are praying for me as a priest and we are interceding for one another and we're bringing the whole church to the Lord and we're standing in the, you know, to say, oh, there's something going on in your life. I'll stand with you and let's pray for you. And, you know, I plead the blood of the Lord on you and let's appropriate God's sacrifice, Jesus' perfect sacrifice. Let's come to the presence of the Lord together. Come with me. Let's go into the house of the Lord. And house of the Lord meaning where even two or three are gathered in his name that he promises to be in our when we do that for one another will there be a change absolutely rather than us coming to some place coming to some person relying on somebody else we collectively function as the royal priests building this temple this house of the lord and if, and serving in the house of the lord to benefit one another right that's the promise of the lord priests serving each other and that brings us to our point of application that we say, Lord, we respond and apply the, the word of God that we have heard by declaring the praises of God. You see, that's what Peter says. You have been called, you've been set apart, you've been done all these things. To do what? To worship God. To declare his praises. To let the world know that he is high and lifted up. To tell everybody that Jesus is Lord. You see, when all, we are all that the Lord declares us to be, when we come into that, we have a rich and significant identity in Christ so that we may declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once we were not a people, but now we are the people of God. Once we had not received mercy, but now we have received mercy. Oh, what a glorious truth. What a privilege. What an identity that we can hold on to no matter what comes against us. No matter how, how turbulent your life is. No matter how your world is being rocked. Right? you're able to say, I stand in this identity that I have in Christ Jesus. I know whose I am, and I know who is mine. I know it. I know what the Lord has done for me. And that's why in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 15 to 16, it says, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. 
and do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. The challenge that we have as the children of God is that we don't realize who we are as the children of God. When we forget who we are, we will be misled in all sorts of ways. We will run from things that we should not run from, and we will run to things that we should not run to because we don't recognize who we are. When we realize who we are in Christ Jesus, when we know what the call of God on our lives truly is, when we say, Lord God, you have called me to minister, it matters not whether I am frail of health. It matters not whether I have money in the bank. It matters not what my circumstances are. It matters not about my education. It matters not about the circumstances that I'm going through. I am a child of God. I have my identity in Him. And I have my calling in Him. And I have my brothers and my sisters who I stand with. And I'm able to minister together with them. And I'm able to see the house of the Lord built, built built, built up. The world around us right now doesn't need to be argued with. We don't need to condemn anybody. We don't attack. We don't stand for one or the other. We stand with the Lord. We're not aligned with somebody on any side. No parties, no things, nothing like that. We stand with the Lord. And the world around us needs to see those who are confident in who they are and continue to build in that way so that they say, I want to be a part of this. Because the world around you is struggling with this. Go to any child even, five-year-old, maybe younger. But certainly by the time they're 10, you know, and certainly as they're going through their teenage years, and certainly adults around you are struggling with this idea. Who am I? What is my value and worth? Where do I fit in in the world around me? How do I contribute? What should I do? What is the meaning of life? And the answer to every one of those things is what the Lord has given us and provided for us. If we don't live this out and then allow people to know that and to experience that and to see that, what hope do people have? It is that's the reason the Lord has called us to this. He's saying, look, when all that darkness is there, I have called you to be my ambassadors, my ministers of reconciliation, my children who have been moved from darkness to light and will declare, will praise, will worship the Lord, will lift his name up so that others may be drawn to him. Church, we're coming into the end of the year. We're preparing for 2024. And like I said, we want to pray. So many people around us in our neighborhoods, 15 to 20 minutes driving distance from this location. 15 to 20 minutes driving location from so many good churches all around us. We want to pray that people will come to know the Lord and will find their identity in Christ Jesus. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that, Lord, your word is powerful for us. Your word is relevant for us. Lord, all these things that Peter and the Bible authors were writing thousands of years ago, Lord, maybe in some measure at least, science and psychology and 
Lord, human wisdom is finally catching up. And Lord, our definition of identity in you allows us to live a life that is fruitful, abundant, blessed, so that we may be a blessing to others. Let this word, Lord, ring in our ears, and especially in these days, Lord, help us to find ourselves settled in you, knowing who we are in Christ Jesus, and therefore serving Christ as holy priests, as royal priests. Let that be our reality, Lord. I pray for the church to experience that. Lord, in increasing measure, in our lives individually and in our church collectively, in the body of Christ across the world collectively, let us be those royal priests. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.